So to begin with, I'd just like to welcome everybody here to the second annual Tribune Festival. Um, I also, uh, this is the time when I remind everyone to turn off their cell phones unless they want to tweet or do any kind of social media thing regarding what we're going to be discussing today. And you can always tweet that out at hashtag TribuneFest. Um, I am Mose Bouchel. I'm a reporter for the local public radio station here, KUT 90.5 FM. I also work with the NPR project State Impact Texas, and we cover energy and environmental issues throughout the state. Um, uh, but I'm based here in Austin, and uh, I am uh, excited to be here. This is my first Tribune Fest, and uh, hopefully it won't be my last. Uh, so uh, to begin with, I'll introduce the panelists that we have here today. Uh, to my left, James Mann. He's been a legal advisor for members of the Texas Pipeline Association for over 25 years. Uh, he represents most major interstate natural p- gas and pi- pipeline distribution companies in the state. And his practice is focused on representation of pipeline companies, um, gas gathering and processing companies, and the like. And uh, so we'll be hearing from the, from the pipeline perspective from James today, I'm sure. He also uh, supplied me with one of my favorite quotes in an, an interview I did with him once for the story I did when he said that, I will paraphrase him here, he, he, he thinks that we have an eminent domain uh, so that people can put gas in their cars, drive on public highways, and in order to drive down to the Capitol and protest it. So uh, <laughs> a taste of maybe something to come from, from Mr. Mann. Um, Representative Renee Oliveira, uh, state representative from Brownsville, has represented South Texas District 37 since 1991. He's the current chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. He's also a member of the State Affairs Committee and has in past sessions served on the House Corrections and Regulated Industries Committee. He's also one of our state politicians who's been speaking a lot about uh, issues of eminent domain. So we look forward to hearing uh, from him about what we might uh, be seeing from from legislation standpoint uh, in the upcoming Mike, session. Yes? I, I know we're mic'd up, but just one one correction so yeah. that he didn't have to do it. The, the chairman is now chairman of the Land and Resources. Oh, Land and Re- I'm sorry. I was reading. Uh, well, I am so sorry and, about uh, that, sir. That's okay. And yeah. that, and that uh, uh, committee, of course, has jurisdiction over the issue yeah. we're talking of about course, today. Of course. Of course. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> and that brings us to you. Bill Stevens. Uh, Bill is the government relations consultant for Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and he served as vice uh, uh, president of that organization. In previous roles, Stevens has worked with Pride Refining and uh, Westico Energy and served as executive vice president of the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Did I get that right, Bill? That's just fine. Thank you so much. (laughs) Finally, we have Deborah Medina. Uh, She's executive director of We Texans, a nonprofit organization advocating for liberty, justice, and integrity in Texas public policy. Uh, Medina uh, has a 20-year history of political activism in the state, including a memorable run for governor in 2010, in which she won almost 20% of the vote. Um, And so I welcome you all, and thank you so much for for coming and talking about this, this big issue with us today. And, and uh, the title of the panel, Eminent Domain, The Great Debate, certainly uh, doesn't undersell the issue. Uh, it, it's a, a good time to be talking about this. This year, I, I don't know if there's ever been, if issues of eminent domain have ever been, uh, in my lifetime, at the forefront of so much public conversation as they have been this year. And so, uh, as I'm sure a lot of you here are aware, uh, some of the reasons for that um, we have had a great national debate over uh, this uh, uh, huge pipeline project, the Keystone XL pipeline that's uh, now, I think, been renamed, but essentially a, a big pipeline project from Canada all the way to our Gulf Coast that would bring oil down to that coast and has you know, obviously prompted a lot of political debate, a lot of discussion at the national level. And then right here in Texas, uh, that particular project uh, crosses the properties of about 850 landowners, um, 17 different counties, and uh, that project has, the, the company has had the um, uh, need uh, to uh, uh, make about 100 different eminent domain uh, claims in order just to get that one project, uh, that one project uh, kind of underway in the state. Um, so as if that weren't enough, uh, last year, uh, we had uh, new legislation surrounding the way we 
use eminent domain and condemnation in the state. Um, and uh, that was a, a law that followed on an, another, uh, I believe in 2005, there was another, there was other legislation that kind of clarified the way that uh, government and private industry can uh, take land in Texas. And uh, uh, according to the, the lawmakers that, uh, that crafted it, uh, protected, gave greater protections to, to landowners, I guess you could say. Um, we also, this year, had a, a, a kind of landmark ruling at the state Supreme Court, uh, a, a ruling against the Denbury Green Pipeline, which was a, a case filed by some landowners, some rice farmers in South Texas who did not want uh, a certain pipeline company to take their land in order to build this pipeline. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, we are undergoing a historic oil and gas boom in the state, which is prompting questions about transportation, how we move this stuff from here to there, what the safest way of doing it is, and, uh, and who gets to, uh, how we use our land in order to do that, I guess you could say. Um, now, you've noticed I've jumped right into oil and gas, and uh, the, that the title of the panel is The Great Debate. So I will begin by just asking our panelists if they could sound off on, on the more general issue of eminent domain. Why we have it, when it's acceptable, and when it might not be justified, or in the case of some of you, if it is ever justified. Um, clearly, when we talk about this, we talk about on one hand, governments, and on the other hand, we talk about private companies. And is there a, is there a division to be made there? Um, so, Mr. Mann, I'll begin with you, and then maybe we could just go around the horn and, and hear about your thoughts on this larger issue. Well, <clears throat> it seems to me that the, the first question uh, you should ask in, in any debate or any discussion of eminent domain is why we have it in the first place. Uh, it, it's, it's not new. The legal scholars, uh, I'm not one of them, but the legal scholars tell us that we've had it in the domain back at least to the days of the Roman Empire, that all the original 13 American colonies used it. Uh, when they became states the United, after the United States was formed, they continued to use it. Texas has always used it. Uh, it's, it's easy to find eminent domain cases in Texas law that go back 100 years or more. It's a, it's a peculiar type of thing because it is inherently offensive. It's, it's inherently an offensive idea that somebody's property is going to be burdened with a facility of some kind that benefits everybody, for everybody to use, but that property owner may not want there. I mean, sometimes eminent domain cases are over money. It's just a question of how much money uh, are you going to pay if they're not happy with the offer, then they litigate it. That's basically what a condemnation case is, litigating how much money is going to be paid. And sometimes, but sometimes though, it's, it's not money. It's somebody just doesn't want it there. But yet, as, as inherently offensive as that, as that idea is, we've always used it. Um, We've always considered that there are some things important enough that we're willing to be offensive to get them done. Uh, in, in Texas, that's, that's infrastructure is primarily what we're uh, talking about. Uh, and, and, and although we may find it offensive, we may not like it, we all use it. Uh, most people here probably got here today by... A, in a gasoline-powered vehicle of some kind on a public road. That gasoline got to that gas station because there are crude oil pipelines that pick up the crude oil from the wells, take it to the refinery. Then there are refined products pipelines to, from the refineries to the tank batteries out of town, outside of town, and then trucks uh, into the gas stations. And because we have that kind of infrastructure, you can go to any 7-Eleven, any buckies with their 60 gas pumps, pull up in, to any of those 60 gas pumps and get gasoline on any day because we've got that kind of infrastructure to do it. And then we, we, we get here today 
and we're sitting here under the electric lights with the air conditioning blowing on us because there are gas pipeline systems that take the fuel to the power plants and electrical infrastructure that brings the electricity into this building. So we have, as best I can determine, always been willing to, to offend somebody uh, here and there along those routes to, to build what we all use. Uh, when you think about the, the pipelines from the wellhead to the, to the uh, tank farms to get your gasoline or the gas and electric systems that gets electricity in this building, you know that in spots along those routes here and there, there's going to be somebody that did not want that infrastructure on their property. But it was put there anyway so we can have what we got here today. So, uh, Representative Oliver, your thoughts? <clears throat> well, uh, James is correct in a lot of what he said. But from a different point of view, more perhaps from a government perspective, we couldn't have no city, school, county, state, federal government could provide any of the necessary services uh, and I'm not going to just focus on pipelines but you can be utilities, it can be schools, obviously roads and highways and bridges, dams. You can just go on and on and on down the list of why there is an eminent domain power granted to governments. The debate on this particular issue that we're going to see in the session and I think it's going to be one of the ten biggest issues of the session because this is not going to be something that the oil and gas industry or the pipeline industry or landowners' rights, um, landowners are going to be ultimately satisfied with. It is a, uh, it's a lose-lose bill to carry, and I may be carrying it. Uh, um, it it is very difficult because particularly we as Texans uh, believe um, in this inalienable right of owning our property, owning our land, whether it's a family farm that you've had for generations or a ranch or whatever it may be. And there are, in, in many instances, landowners that work very well with utilities and pipeline companies and, and state and local governments to accomplish the things that we must accomplish for our society. Um, and again, I, basic things like education. Um, you know, I know that there are some people that live in Austin who would love to see us do something about Interstate 35 between uh, uh, Riverside and uh, 51st Street. Uh, that condemnation would probably start World War Three or four and five, mm -hmm. uh, but that's something that you know would would need to be looked at with all of our congestion and traffic problems in our state and in our communities. But you don't want to be that landowner or homeowner who is you know I my the cases are often very dramatic and. Movies are made of them in the in the way that they uh, they really do hurt you and and I think James used the right word. It is an offensive act. It can be. Now I think in in ninety five percent of the situations um, it's an accommodation for for many landowners or some landowners that uh, enjoy the 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 money that comes from. Um, um, perhaps having a pipeline across their uh, their property but others and you know farmers and ranchers see their property cut in half and where they can't maybe get to one side or the other of their land and uh, you can't build anything on top of these pipelines you have a a a great deal of regulation both federal and state that that protect the pipeline once it's built and uh, to protect the general public and to protect the environment as well. Um, so there, there, it, it is a very, very tough situation, but it has to be addressed now because um, I have to be concerned that from different angles as the chairman of, of this particular committee, um, knowing that 
we are certainly responsible for landowners' rights and making sure that landowners are treated fairly. At the same time, recognizing that the oil and gas industry is is brings in more revenue to state government right now than than probably anything but the sales tax. Mm -hmm. uh, the sales tax accounts for, um, I believe, about 60% of our general revenue. And oil and gas revenue accounts for a great deal. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's, it's a very tough issue. Um, there's a lot of angry landowners. We saw how it played out um, for Governor Perry um, when he talked about uh, toll roads and things like that. And um, I think ever since that time, it has been an issue, uh, particularly for some of my friends on the other side of the aisle uh, who signed pledges uh, agreeing to protect landowners and their rights. And they're going to have to now face a very difficult decision in this session. Uh, what, what are we going to do to make sure we have pipelines out there and the jobs that come with it? and the revenue that, that our great state gets uh, at the same time balancing uh, the rights of, of, of individual landowners that are very precious as well. It's hard to imagine a state that doesn't value property rights more than, than ours. <laughs> Making well, it it's, it's a political um, situation. Guns, water, barbed wire, and owning your property are, <laughs> that defines <laughs> Texas. And Mr. Stevens, anything you'd add to that? Well, Mose, I would just say that, yes, Texas is, um, is obviously a tremendously strong private property rights uh, uh, state and ethics. Uh, if you've grown up here, you've worked here, and, and, and you live in, in the state, that uh, is just is self-evident. Uh, we do believe, I believe, and the, the folks that I represent, that eminent domain may be a necessary evil, but it is a necessary tool. And... Um, uh, we're, uh, uh, we believe that it, uh, and it needs to be fair, as fair as it can be. But if, if it is offensive, it's offensive, but it is a necessary tool. Let's make it as least offensive as, uh, uh, as possible. But also believe that as a society, whether it's the nation or, uh, or Texas or our community in Austin, we've got to be able to uh, to work together. We've got to be able to accomplish things. We need to be able to build an interstate uh, road system. We we got to put a man on the moon. You know we we you know we were uh, instrumental in helping dig the the Panama Canal. You know, and I would put into that category the Keystone and the uh, the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, we need to be able to do grand projects like that in our society. Uh, and it's a complicated society, and it's growing uh, larger and more complicated by the day. Uh, and uh, eminent domain and. And it needs to be as fair as we can make it, but it is a necessary tool. Now, the Keystone Pipeline is something that we Texans have you know, been involved in the, in the debates and the legal actions surrounding that, uh, with, uh, leading us, I suppose, to, to what your thoughts might be. Well, your, your original question was, what is eminent domain and do we need it? Yes. Um, and I think most of us uh, in Texas would say it is a government tool. And where we have really gone astray is, is by giving that power to non-governmental entities to listen to Mr. Mann. I'm not sure where it stops. Uh, I was sitting here thinking that um, cotton farmers might think that they needed to produce more cotton and God forbid they don't have the power to do it in his backyard. We'd all be sitting here unclothed. Seriously? <laughs> Where is Wait a minute, our, I don't want that thought. Some of you all are quite lovely, but I, I, I just, Where is that Texas innovative spirit that says we can accomplish to imply that we can't build a Keystone Pipeline without the Club of Eminent Domain is offensive. To imply that we can't get oil and gas to a gas station without the club of eminent domain is offensive. Where is our courage? Where is our innovation and innovation? And where is the free market? So, but you, so you're not proposing then the government take over pipeline construction? Oh, God forbid! No. <laughs> Just that. Look, there, there's only <clears throat> there's a, there's only two ways to build infrastructure. Either government builds it using tax money and the tools government use like eminent domain to build it. Or you depend on private enterprise. <clears throat> you
you depend on private enterprise to build that infrastructure with private money. There is no reason to think that private enterprise can build it with private money without the same tool that government uses when government builds it with government money. If you want private enterprise to have a big hand in building pipeline systems, electrical systems, railroads, I won't go to roads, toll roads, but if you, if you want private enterprise to be the one that builds that, that infrastructure, then private enterprise has to have the, the, the same tool that government would use. There's no reason to think that we can do it where government can't without using an intimate domain. Are there, others, are there other options? I mean, it, it, from your perspective, you're no, saying that, that Bill, we could be innovative about this, but how could we? I mean, Bill may know better than I do, but certainly we have private pipelines in Texas. We have pipelines existing that don't use the government power to build themselves, and we could all list, I guess, till the end of the day, uh, places where the private sector, the private market, delivers goods and services to our society. Uh, some healthcare. Um, some might argue that there's no free there's no free market healthcare left, but. We have government-delivered health care using very different tools than what the free market does, and yet free markets still exist. You can't, that's a, that's a blatantly false argument to say that the free market without the tool of government um, condemnation power cannot succeed. And if that's our vision, then, then, and this will be rougher than I intended, then we need some new ideas in the pipeline industry. We need new people at the table who say, yes, we can compete, we can do it in the free market, and we can work with landowners in the state of Texas to find those folks who we can come to an agreement with about developing this infrastructure that we need. And we do. Uh, the, the rule of thumb in the pipeline business is that no more than 5% in general, of the right-of-way of a pipeline is ever subject to any sort of condemnation proceeding. Roughly 95% of the time, we always manage to find some accommodation, some agreement. But, but look, it's not like pipelines can just pick where they start and stop. We have to start it, at least in Texas, we start the pipelines at the wellhead. We have to stop the pipeline at the refinery. You can't put it in a different part of the state. You can't go around the county. You have to connect those two. And what typically happens is you'll acquire most of the right-of-way. You'll acquire almost all of it, but there'll be a spot or two in there where you didn't. After you've made all the agreements with people, there are gaps. And that gap the last piece of property you may acquire can only go in one direction. Once you've got this piece acquired and this piece acquired, you can't suddenly decide, I can't make a deal with the guy in between. I, have to, I can go over here and make a deal with another guy. You have to connect the pieces. And that, that's, it's, a, it's essential. And, and history has shown us, uh, good Lord, it, con condemning right away is the most expensive way to get it. If we could do it every time without that, we would do it because it is cheaper, faster, and better. I, th I think we kind of staked yeah. out. Sorry, yeah. staked out some of our our, our kind of general yeah. positions now. Yeah. Um, and I, I was hoping we could get a little bit into some more specific. Yeah, do you, you want to? Well, I don't know that I'll be more specific, uh -huh. but uh, uh, yes, there are private pipelines that are built. Uh, I, uh, I, I think that, I, and I don't know the percentage or how many in a, uh, uh, in a year uh, uh, that might be happening, but there are private pipelines that are built, but the vast majority of them would, uh, 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 without eminent domain, whether it's connecting that last, that last 5% or whatever, just don't get there in a timely basis. And that's not just timely for the pipeline company. That's timely for all of us. They don't get there without some sort of eminent domain to wrap up that last little, that that last little bit, and um, and the Texas Constitution uh, speaks to eminent domain, and it speaks to eminent domain. I think this is something that I believe we need to have entered into uh, into our conversations that it that that it uh, that private property rights can be eclipsed only for the public use. 
Now, and I think that's real, real important. Now, if the, if the government is uh, giving uh, uh, the credentials, giving the power of eminent domain to a private company, it has got to be for a public use. And that's why I'm here, is it needs to be for a public use. And that, that brings us to some of the more specifics, then, yeah. because what we're dealing with now is a situation where that concept has been, uh, to some degree, thrown into question, perhaps, by some recent legal decisions and uh, by some challenges to some high-profile pipelines. And, and let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about pre-Denbury and what some of the alleged abuses were, certainly some things that concerned me. You could have a businessman and, or woman in, um, in Galveston with ocean or waterfront property, had a business there 100 years, city of Galveston comes in and decides, we want more hotels, so we're going to take your property away. And there have been many abuses of the eminent domain power uh, by the government and uh, uh, by the private sector where in the limited instances we've granted it. But I think uh, his point is correct. It, there's supposed to be a public use involved. Now let's talk about, um, and we have a United States Supreme Court case on, on this that highlights this issue as well and dramatically changed the, the, the contours of this debate um, and really needed to happen because there were cities and counties and, and states that were uh, doing just basically whatever they wanted and running over landowners and it was wrong. Um, but this particular case has highlighted and, and I've admitted it publicly and privately so I'll admit it here, I was shocked to find out that all you had to do was go in and pay a tiny little fee, fill out a form called a T4 or something like that Sounds like something out of the Terminator movies. Uh, but that's all you had to do, and basically you would become a common carrier, and you could build pipelines all across the state of Texas. If you allow me to and, kind of define these terms then for, I'm, I'm sure most people here know what we're talking about, but the, uh, the, the idea of a common carrier is a, a pipeline that allows uh, various private entities to transport whatever they're transporting on it. So that's the way that it, the, the justification for the, the public good comes in, essentially. A pipeline company can say, we're a common carrier, and we're going to facilitate the transport of natural gas, for example. And that allows them then the power to take land from private landowners because, um, uh, you know, presumably, it's in the public interest. Right. And, and the, our own Texas Supreme Court came out very clear that, that this was unconstitutional, yeah. that it was wrong to not have standards, it was wrong to, to not, uh, I, I believe there's a, some dicta in there about giving notice, it was wrong to not define what a common carrier is, and it was, if all you did was transport your own natural gas or your own uh, oil or, or whatever product uh, because we're not just talking about oil and gas now. Lots of different products flow through pipelines. Um, then you were not a common carrier uh, doing something for the general good. You were doing something that benefited your own company, so to speak. So that's what's thrown this issue now into a great turmoil in Texas, and it's a, it has the potential to significantly affect our Texas economy, as I've already talked about. Um, we are seeing landowners, uh, based on this decision um, and based on uh, uh, their interpretation of it and their lawyer's interpretation of it, file suits all over trying to stop people from, from uh, being a common carrier and challenging that in front of a jury, where the usual litigation was just about how much is my acre worth. It was, it was a matter of value, which I think always has to be there for landowners and this to where they always have a right to say, you are not paying me fair market value and, and you have to pay me fair market value. Um, we have had landmen in, in Texas uh, 
Um, I don't know how many there are anymore, but there's been a history of some that have been very abusive and have intimidated landowners. And, you know, you get the image of Granny out there with her 150 acres and um, a big thug landman comes along and says, uh, you better sign here, lady, or we're going to take it. Mm. And we're going to pay you 10 cents on the dollar. You know, I don't know how much of that is still happening or if it's still happening, but the potential for abuse has been great. So finding this balance, keeping Texas growing, keeping the economy thriving, creating the jobs that we all need as we're, we're listening to this national debate is, is why this is such a big issue now. Could, could I ask for a show of hands, just does everybody here agree that we need some degree of reform? Uh, you know, yes. in, in, in light of post-Denberry, maybe from... It, well, from the st- <clears throat> pipeline standpoint, we're, we're through arguing about whether or not there ought to be a test. The, co- the court has spoken. Um, pipeline industry doesn't, or at least the part of the pipeline industry I represent, uh, doesn't object to having to meet some test or prove up who we are or what we are. Okay. We can do that. The, the difficulty with the Denberry case is that it results in a situation where we have to prove it time and time and time again while we're trying to build a pipeline. Um, we don't mind proving it. We'd like to prove it just once, and we'd like to be able to prove it before we start building so we know what the rules are as we start constructing pipelines. So, yes. I'm just going to say I want to, I want to chime in with a little bit different uh, perspe- uh, perspective on that, but in, but in support. Um, uh, we, at the, we at the Texas Alliance uh, have long thought that there needed to be more than check the box and a self-verification on common carrier. Um, and I appreciate uh, that the pipeline, uh, the Texas Pipeline Association has come forward with some ideas and that you're saying what you're you're saying, James, because we uh, and, and we want to support we want to support you in something that is reasonable. But I do believe also, or we believe at the Texas Alliance, that it would be unfortunate um, uh, if we were to allow the interpretation of the Denbury case to uh, stop the progress or so severely retard the progress in building pipelines. Uh, in this state, uh, but that it, it is more, but it is more than procedural, and I think that the procedure that you're putting forth, we want to support, but we want to go deeper than that, and and we uh, and uh, I think uh, Ms. Medina has some uh, some thoughts, uh, obviously uh, on that, and I think we do as well. Um, we would think that on both sides of the issue, from the landowner, but also the common use. The common use also goes to the producers being able to ship their product in a non-discriminatory manner uh, as well. So if we're going to have a public use, it's going to go from the landowner all the way through the people that are are shipping on it. That goes back to the 1880s and the railroads and farmers trying to get their things to market. And we're solidly behind working with you on on that procedure, but it's going to have to be just a tad bit deeper. Well, certainly, uh, from a, a common carrier, as Bill, I think, has accurately described, is one that's available for third parties to use. You, you publish a tariff that sets out uh, the rules, how you, how you access the pipeline, how you nominate what you want to ship on it, uh, the rates. And in fact, as a, as a matter of fact, uh, the most likely shippers are, in fact, either producers at one end, say in the, in the case of a crude oil line, or the refiners at the other. Um, let's face it, nobody here is ever likely to call up uh, an oil company and say, sell me two barrels of crude oil at your well. I'm going to put them on the pipeline and ship them to a refinery and have them turned into gasoline for me. Uh, we, we don't do that. You can't do that. That won't work. The people who, who will ship on, who do ship on, are just logically, when you look at what a pipeline does, either the 
producers at one end, the refiners uh, at the other, or people who are in the business of buying from mills uh, members and selling to refineries. I saw you you wanted to chime in earlier, and I don't want to get... Um, I, I think despite the rhetoric that we've had here, that the intrastate issues really um, are much simpler to solve. You alluded to there's an interstate issue, and that's uh-huh. really kind of the big bugaboo, I think. We certainly have miles and miles of interstate pipelines in Texas that have not been under the regulatory authority of the Railroad Commission. It is the crux of most of the lawsuits that I've read regarding the Keystone XL because there's no on-ramp, there's no regulatory authority, there's no oversight by the Railroad Commission, there's no apportionment by the Railroad Commission. Uh, This is not a common carrier as our law has uh, stipulated. And so how do we as a state that wants to see this vibrant infrastructure really begin to deal with that interstate Line and making sure that we are truly serving the public in Texas. I've actually I printed out a version of the T4 form before I got <laughs> in here just because this is the this is one of the documents that it, that is uh, causing so much of uh, uh, contention. It's the document that you where you you check a box and you identify yourself as a common carrier, and critics will say. That's all you do, and after that, you have the power to, to take land, and you don't necessarily need to prove it afterwards that, that you have fulfilled this public purpose. And so, with that in mind, I'll bring it back to Representative Oliveira. What might reform? I, I know you've been talking to all these different stakeholders, all these different people with with uh, very different attitudes towards this power. What might uh, legislation look like in, next year that tries to answer some of these concerns? I have wanted to, you know, if I was King Rene, I would be, tell you exactly how I would do it, uh-huh. but... I'd be interested to hear that too, but, yeah, but, but well, let's start within the realm of reality. I, I think the realm of reality is going to require us to, um, to come up with a very balanced piece of legislation, and as always, the devil is in the details. Um, there... I have a lot of different thoughts in my mind. We've only had one committee hearing, so I'm, I'm hesitant to even give much of a framework yet uh, because we, we had only selected testimony. We heard from the, the Farm Bureau and the cattlemen and ranchers and others that were extremely concerned about uh, these uh, potential abuses. Amazingly, uh, I expected to hear also that, based on the simplicity of that one-page document and the small fee, whatever it is, that we'd have you know Joe's pipeline companies being set up all over the place, and and Joe would be out there like Joe the plumber of a few years ago uh, would be out there trying to to do these kinds of things and make money, but we haven't found those kinds of abuses. The, um, at, so perhaps that means there is not as big a problem as, as um, some, some believe. I'm not prepared to say the, what breadth or scope it would be. I, I, I do know this, that one of the things that I think we have to all start discussing and debating is, um, and Mr. Mann said it well in one hearing, you can't have a thousand different courts all over the state of Texas rendering conceivably a thousand different opinions about what a pipeline uh, or what a common carrier is and and what is going to be a public use because frankly we would completely paralyze the industry and that is a big problem for Texas. But let me go back to something Deborah said because I think she's right. It's the creeping uh, private sector that's gaining eminent domain power that I think is really giving people the, the angst. And because I think people generally will accept, or at least most reasonable ones, will accept that we need to have roads and we need to build prisons and we need to build schools and, um, and we need to build all these things we've talked about on the government side. Um, but how much power do we allow to private business uh, and how do we give them this power and when do we give them this power and who should have this power 
that is going to be the big debate. And uh, there are folks that want it to be very simple. Uh, a, a hearing before the Railroad Commission and no more litigation. There are folks that want to retain the right to litigate this all over all over Texas. Uh, but I, you know, I have concerns about both points of view. If we don't, if we don't see action in the ledge, or is that will we see more action in the courts? The, one of the, the family that that's, uh, the two brothers that sued to create the Denbury decision have now taken uh, keys to Trans Canada to court. And have, they've obviously shown a willingness to take these things to the highest court. Is, is, are we going to have to? Are we going to see a, a solution, if not through lawmakers, then through the court? Well, because it's so contentious, there's a risk that the legislature might not agree. Right. Um, as you, some of you all heard earlier, you know I can try to speak for the House of Representatives, right. but I can't speak for the other side of the palace with, with the senators, uh, and. And so I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I, we have very powerful interests here uh, on, on, on both sides of this issue. We have very powerful, uh, uh, heartfelt passion uh, about these issues. And we have our economy. Uh, it's so I, I don't think we'll have a choice but to have the legislature fix it. I think to leave it to the courts and leave that uncertainty is bad for everyone. You mentioned King Rene, and you're talking about two sides of the palace. King, if, what would King Rene do? Okay. <laughs> Be careful. Be careful, yeah. Well, I'd probably start with um, certain strict definitions and strict limitations. Um, over the years and until the recent uh, decisions by the United States Supreme Court and, and our Texas Supreme Court, um, I think we have let eminent domain power get away from us. The example I, I gave. So I think I would be, you know, we've done a lot in terms of reform. As, as, as my friend said here, we, we, we've got, it's got to be a public use. But we're even fighting now about what public use means. I'm sure the city of Galveston thought building another hotel was a public use because it would bring more revenue to the city and more tourists and, and all of that. But that particular businessman who had whatever business it was in, 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 in an ice house or shrimping or fishing or whatever it was thought, how dare you? This is the United States of America. Um, and this, this is, is the great conservative <laughs> state of Texas. Oh, right. How can you go be building the... So I would probably want things to be much tighter and much more limited, um, but I certainly wouldn't stop the free flow of commerce. We, we, it, it, this is a power that has to be out there. Um, and frankly, I'm, like I said, I was shocked that the, we had not addressed it. And I've been in the legislature 28 years, and I was surprised that it was so easy to be a common carrier. Um, I have been involved in many other issues, and not this one, until... I was, Speaker Strauss asked me to chair this committee, and so we're still finding out a lot. Even King Rene might be hesitant right now to, to, to do any edicts. Okay. Yeah, I want to open up for questions soon, but uh, other follow-up thoughts? Uh, well, yeah. I'm, um, I want to be real supportive uh, of Chairman Oliveira. I think in, in, uh, for the first time in the, uh, the, not the 28 years that you've been here, but the 12 or 13 years, that uh, that I've been dealing uh, with some of these issues, I feel like we have three willing participants right here uh, as stakeholders uh, to work with you on that. I, um, uh, I've not seen uh, uh, an opportunity uh, in the last decade uh, that I felt like was any better uh, than now to to begin uh, addressing this in, in a little bit in a little bit different way and. But and having said that, I agree that when we when we get into the procedure of looking for what is that definition of uh, of common uh, of common use for the or for the public public use, um, it does need to be concise, tightly defined, not totally unchallengeable, but whatever that decision is needs to be. Uh, uh, that I guess we can go to the Supreme Court, on, but uh, 
we don't need to put into place a, a procedure that lengthens the eminent domain um, a hearing that lengthens it by four or six months to go through that procedure only to have it appealed and appealed and appealed and taken somewhere else and suddenly here you are two or three years later uh, and so we've got to define it tightly as you said and, and, and move forward and, and I'll support you on those and give the floor to somebody yeah, else. If you would like to, Deborah, if you would like to maybe have the last word on this because I think that your position is a little bit for, uh, maybe further outside what we're hearing about from at least two of our other panelists. In terms of specifically looking at common carrier and the way that that's defined in the state, what, what, kind, of, uh, what kind of suggestions would you bring to the table? You know, I've, I've gone back to, um, as best I can trace, the origin of that law in our statute to 1917. And uh, there have been some rewrites and some word changes, but we skim over some of that. I think the preamble to that bill was very clear that we were talking about companies who moved product from place to place, ergo the intrastate definition. Our um, world has evolved such that we have a lot of interstate. We've got to address that issue, I believe. Um, while I'm sympathetic to the pipeline position that we need to, to be able to build um, in, a, in a reasonable period of time, I'm sympathetic to Texas Riceland Partners, who has spent four or five years now making it to the Texas Supreme Court and learning that, in fact, Denbury Green does not appear to be. And I think um, uh, Chairman Olivetta is the, the attorney on the panel, so you the court said this is a, a finding of fact that the lower court needs to do. It's not sufficient just to check the box. I don't know that the Supreme Court decision actually said they aren't, but certainly they implied that Denbury may not be a common carrier, and yet their line is in the ground. They've they built it three years ago, and, and so the man's property has been taken. Um, and we see the pipeline continuing to do that, where the Texas Supreme Court said landowners absolutely have the right to question. Uh, I'm sympathetic to we don't want this question to go through every county court at law in the state to be resolved, but we see pipelines where it's questioned. The, the court was clear when a landowner questions, the burden falls to the pipeline to prove. The pipelines are not proving. The pipelines are continuing litigation and at the same time going ahead with construction. There's a fundamental problem with that. Well, there, and there's there's a remedy for that already in the law. <clears throat> the the Texas process is and and has always been that in condemnation proceedings, uh, when you're where you're just really fighting over the money, how much it is, the property can uh, the the facility, whatever it is, uh, electric lines, uh, roads, anything else, uh, can be built because the the ability to condemn is not the issue in those cases. Uh, it's just how much you're going to uh, pay. But if in those cases where a, a condemning authority of any kind has taken possession of the property in the interim and it's later determined that that condemning authority does not have the power to do it, has not followed the law in doing it. Then the remedy in the law is you either pay the landowner what he wants or you take your facility and you get it off his property. That remedy is there. And I don't know I don't know how you could have a stronger remedy than that. If in fact a pipeline, an electric line or anything else is found to be on your property illegally, you can either make them pay what you want or you can make them take it off. And I'm, I'm not sure how much of a, how much more of a complete remedy uh, you can have with that. Now I know that you you don't want it on there in the first place, um, and we don't want to build it and put it on there if it's going to be later determined that we have to take it off. That's why what we would like to have is a process where we can get that basic authority issue the definition, the authority. We can get that basic issue decided before we build the pipeline, then those questions won't exist as the 
construction goes on. The, the questions will be like they always are. Um, are you taking too much and how much are you going to pay for it? Uh, that's our primary concern at this point. Is I mean, being able to get let that me just add one other front. thing that um, Deborah brings up the issue of foreign companies and we talked about this in the hearing. We're not talking about Pemex or something like that. When we're talking about foreign companies, we're talking, I guess, maybe Canada here in, in the Keystone discussion. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not sure how much the state of Texas could deal with interstate pipelines. Uh -huh. That's going to be primarily governed by federal regulation and, and, and federal law. And so there'll probably be a limit to what we could do uh, in, in, in many interstate pipelines. So I, I think we've, I don't want to so build up expectations. So are you saying Keystone won't have common carrier status in Texas since it's an interstate pipeline? No, I, I'm just saying that we may not be able to address it at all. Um, you know, we're still looking at that, Deborah, to be honest with you, is, and we're going to ask the AG for some, some opinions on these things. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to, uh, we, we only have about five minutes left, so if you, if you don't mind, I don't know if there are folks here who have questions, but I'd like to make that available. That, uh, yeah, there's a gentleman up here. Let me just admit I have a bias. I'm an attorney and I represent landowners in condemnation matters. Um, and I'd like to make a couple of quick points and then ask a question. Um, the landowner's perspective is not fully been fleshed out here. Five percent of cases go to condemnation, but that's because the playing field is not left. Landowners are met with a much larger force um, uh, of the government or a major company, and they have to they have to litigate. They have to hire lawyers. They have to hire experts, and nobody reimburses them for that. And they're not even reimbursed in the process if they go all the way to court for that. So it's it's a very unfair playing field. And that's why so few do go to condemnation. Most landowners give up. Um, the other point I'd like to make is, um, in the case of pipelines, we give the power of condemnation to private companies, common carriers or not. We give them that, but there are none of the processes that normally go along with public responsibility. There, there's not a process um, for determining if this is the best route, if there are better routes that have less impact on the environment, less impact on cultural resources, the pipeline company decides where the route goes. Um, so my question is, <clears throat> what do you think about using a process like is used for power lines and the PUC oversees a routing process that addresses all these questions in a matter of a few months in a public hearing, and then the pipeline company is given the power. I, can, I, I believe I can address that because that issue comes up every session. Um, people say, well, electric companies do it, highways do it, why can't pipelines do it? The, let me just start with what the end result of that process would be. It will take you, in an electric case, nine months to a year to get a decision out of the PUC on a route. Electric projects have five and ten year lead times. They can do it. Highways have ten year lead times. They can do it. Reservoirs have ten year lead times. They can do it. We've got a ten week lead time to get the wells connected. The, the essential difference between the pipeline industry and the other industries that go through those proceedings is the timeliness in which we have to build our facilities. If we had to stop and go through a routing proceeding, for every pipeline we're building in the Eagle Ford oil boom these days, we would bring South Texas to a halt. We're connecting wells day in and day out. We're connecting wells as fast as producers can drill them and as fast as we 
can connect them. Now, from, from my viewpoint, the producer's viewpoint, the royalty owner's viewpoint, and the state's viewpoint, that's good. That is, we're, we have a massive oil and gas boom going on in this state that's transforming parts of the state like South Texas, um, that's transforming the state. We now have refineries on the Texas Gulf Coast that say if we can build the pipelines as fast as the producers are drilling the oil wells, we can give up on foreign oil. We will no longer have to be buying oil from the nutcase, I'm sorry, the troubled parts of the world. <laughs> um, Let me add something. When we had the eminent domain bill last session in my committee, um, I think all of these folks know, we amended it significantly um, and we wanted to do even more uh, I wanted to add attorney's fees and court costs for the landowner. It is a very uneven playing field. Um, there, there are some other things we wanted to do. Unfortunately, the, again, the other side of the palace didn't agree, so those amendments you know, were not going to be... Many of them were stripped, and many of them we just knew we could not pass. Um, the politics of this is really unique. Um, you have Republicans who have signed pledges to do everything to protect landowners uh, and now they're going to be faced with uh, what they're going to do with uh, an, an important part of our economy, the oil and gas industry and the pipeline industry and everything else. That's why I think this is going to be so contentious. Um, balancing all of those things is very hard to do. And um, for me to predict the kind of bill that would come out of my committee, much less out of the House at this point, is, is very difficult. Um, but there's going to have to be major concessions to landowners uh, because the politics are completely different. If this was just an oil and gas issue, I think probably the industry would pretty much write the bill. But uh, because of the landowner's rights issue, I think there's going to have to be some give and take. And at this point, I can say that the stakeholders are, are, are willing to talk about some innovative and creative things. Will it satisfy everyone? Uh, I'm sure it won't. Uh, the issue, though, becomes trying to get something together that works for all of us and, and still respects, um, to me, the inalienable right to be a property owner in, in our great state. Do we have any other questions from the audience on this? Anyone else? God, we must have answered everything. I guess we I did you. our job. We, um, should, we should be solving the problems in the Middle East next. <laughs> next panel. Okay. Problems next in the panel. Middle East. Uh, are, there other, are there other points that any of you would like to add to, to, to answer that gentleman's question or anything else that's come up in the course of our discussion that you don't think has gotten uh, fair here? I don't think the right, If you don't mind, I, I saw it. Certainly. I think that um, you quoted, Mose, at the beginning that there were 800 parcels in the Keystone, 800 landowners, 100 cases. That's not 5% condemnation rate. I think if we're going to find uh, real solutions for people, we all have to deal honestly with the facts and figures that are out there. And the gentleman rightly points out that we have really uh, placed landowners at a great disadvantage. Um, Bill Peacock at the Texas Public Policy Foundation has said there's no such thing as a voluntary agreement when one of the parties has the power of eminent domain. Um, I hope that we can all do a better job of coming to the table objectively to look at this issue. We cannot give um, lip service to private property ownership in Texas, which is what we've been doing. The people, uh, it is an inherent part of our culture that we value that. We've got to act like in statute that we value it as well. We certainly uh, have as an inherent part of our culture a very healthy and vibrant oil and gas community. We have, to, we have to value that as well. And so I'm encouraged that we're all here today and that we've been before uh, Chairman Olivetta. I'm looking forward to us getting in front of uh, Chairman Frazier and the Natural Resource Committee on the Senate side. And uh, we'll see if we can bring some progress to the table in 2013. 
and I'd like to make one uh, one other point. I don't think the Texas legislature <clears throat> has been given the credit it deserves for the work it's done in the last six years, the last three sessions and one special session on these very issues. This fight didn't start with the, the Keystone Pipeline. The Keystone Pipeline has just turned out to be the most contentious, uh, the, the one with the highest publicity factor. Uh, but the, 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 the issues really got raised by the Kilo case, uh, taking people's houses to build a shopping center. Um, and I, I believe Chairman Oliveira is right. There was a great deal of surprise when people found out that, in fact, the same thing uh, could be done and had been done uh, in Texas, the ballpark in Arlington, the uh, Texas Motor Speedway, um, the, the Texas Conservative Coalition Research Institute, I think that's the name, came out with a piece on that that said, you know, it's one thing to take property for the Port of Houston, it's another to take property for Reliance Stadium. The, the legislature uh, acted on that and then for the next three sessions tried to craft a landowner's rights reform bill. Uh, the first one was passed, pretty much agreed to by all the, the stakeholders, the landowner groups, the industry groups, uh, but was vetoed because of a road issue. Uh, the next session, uh, the legislature banged heads together until another one passed, uh, but it uh, died in the in the crush at the end of the session. And then the the third session, after well, I don't want after Chairman Oliveira took over that committee, it it got passed. Uh, I didn't want that to sound exactly like that, but I, that's actually what happened. Um, and we've had well, we need to wrap yeah, up soon. Yeah. But we've we've uh, we've had two now legislative sessions where this has been a, a very key and contentious issue. It sounds like we're probably going into a third, um, and maybe it'll get settled this time. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming, and uh, re really much appreciation to our panelists. Thank you all so thank much you for much. joining us. Thank you.